Welcome to our first Bulletin of Spanish Studies podcast. I'm Gemma McKenna, Editorial Assistant at the Bulletin, and I will be your guide. We will meet academics from across the UK, Ireland and around the world, and we'll find out about cutting-edge research in Hispanism across Spain, Portugal and Latin America. We're going to kick off our podcasting endeavours with a look at research journeys, with three episodes focused on this theme. We will consider how far people have travelled from their initial point of interest to where they are today. Some of the people we talk to will inspire us with their epic genre-busting voyages across decades, while others are just taking flight. In our first episode, we will speak to Professor Stephen Hart of University College London, who is an expert on Peruvian writer César Vallejo and Colombia's Gabriel García Márquez. But he has many other strings to his bow, including Latin American cinema and 16th century saints. We're going to find out where he gets his fresh inspiration. Next up will be Dr. Mary Farley, lecturer in Spanish at University College Dublin. She specialises in Spanish visual cultures, particularly in representations of religious women in art and media and contemporary engagements with Iberian mysticism. She has some wild tales to tell about nuns, cabaret and drag performers. Also, stay tuned as both reveal their wacky, or not, tips on how they sit down and write. I'm here with Professor Stephen M. Hart of University College London, who's going to tell us about how his research pathway has moved between giants of Latin American literature, César Vallejo and Gabo, Gabriel García Márquez, to Latin American cinema, and more recently, a Renaissance saint. Quite the list, Stephen. Can you talk us through sort of where you started? Uh, yes, well, I started with um, my PhD, which was on César Vallejo, And the reason I got interested in uh, César Vallejo was because of the difficulty of his poetry as a challenge. And uh, I I started trying to work out what his poetry meant. I translated it into English. I then realized I understood it less. So I thought I I really need to to write on this person. And uh, I was also interested possibly in writing on a French author, Stéphane Mallarmé. But then I thought that the... Um, professors in the Spanish department were much more simpaticos <laughs> and so I decided to go that direction I'm really glad I did and um, I was always interested in, in Latin America and I think when I went to Santiago de Chuco um, where César Vallejo was born I think that's when I thought I, you know, that I'm, I'm interested in this country as well uh, my supervisor says you've got to understand you know, when you when you study an author like this, you've got to go to the country, as it were, feel the culture through your feet. I don't think it means literally that, but I, I can under, understand yeah. that idea. And I, I, you know, when studying a writer such as later on, I became interested in magical realism and Garcia Marquez. I went to Colombia, I went to Aracataca, the house where he was uh, born, and, and I think that they help. I know that, um, well, when I was at Cambridge, people said, well, no, you mustn't do this sort of thing, Stephen, or you should not be interested in life. It's the work. There is nothing outside the text. And I used to think, hmm, I'm sure there is. There must be, you know, the, the, the life itself. So that's why I've actually, after studying some of those authors, decided to write biographies on them. I've written a biography of César Vallejo, which was translated into Spanish. Um, one on uh, Garcia Marcus as well, which was translated into Spanish and Chinese. Not that I can really understand much of it. Wow. Um, so that that's, but that's something I've, I find as a literary biography, that connection between the life and, and the work, I think is, is, is really, really something that uh, is part of um, what I really find interesting. 
Yeah, and it helps with your broader understanding too when you come from such a different culture to be able to go and sort of see where they've come from. Uh, well, I think that's true, and 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 I really agree with that, Gemma, because. Um, I've given talks before, say in Lima, and I would be talking about Cesar Vallejo, and then someone in the audience says, "Señor," and I'll, I'll, say, I'll, I'll say it in English, but I'll try and say it. "Señor, you say that this word uh, blancuras means this in this poem, but in Santiago de Chuco, when we say blancuras, we're referring to bread. What do you think of this, uh, Señor Hart? I sure that you did not know this. I'm obviously overdoing the accent a bit, but um, uh, but that, that's actually, I think, quite challenging in some ways because you 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 know you might think well i've got my phd um i shouldn't be you know i I shouldn't be in this situation here um and i i've often thought that there's uh, as a result of that and my answer to those questions is often there's a there's a global reading of a writer such as garcia marquez or cesar vallejo and there's a kind of a local reading a santiago de chuco reading i even now think there's a trujillo reading and a lima reading um and and uh but so many levels. I, exactly. Uh, so you have the kind of, you know, the way the language is, is used in, in the actual city or town where he, where he or she comes from. Um, but I'm more interested in the global kind of reading, in a sense. Well, that sounds fascinating. And that, so you came from Cesar Vallejo and that sort of led you on to Garcia Marquez or what way did you approach that one? Yes, yeah, so I mean, that, that was, I mean, it, I mean, in some ways I think there's always that kind of connection, isn't there, between teaching and uh, your research. So I think that, that we, we have that, don't we, quite clearly in the arts and humanities. And so I'd always been interested in Garcia Marquez. And in fact, my first publication in 1982 quite a long time ago, was on magical realism in Cien Años de Soledad. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've always had that interest. And, um, uh, you know, as I mentioned that before, it was Cien Años. Then I was asked by Reaction Press to write a book on him, which I did and enjoyed, but I thought I'd uh, then take the opportunity to go to Latin America for a bit longer. So th- those, I think, were, were natural um uh, you know, it's a natural progression. And then later on, I became interested in film. Um, I was invited by Julio... Uh, I invited Julio Garcia Espinosa, um, who was a founder of the Cuban Film School and also of the um, Escuela Internacional de Cine y Televisión in San Antonio de los Baños. I invited him to Britain. He came. It was a great success. Um, and then he said to me, why don't you bring some students over to Cuba to teach film? Oh, and wow. I thought... Well, no, I thought I thought, I thought about it and I said, uh, Julio, what a great idea. But I think, I think no, I've got tons of things I have to do. Um, and then I was thinking about it and someone else said to me, well, you know, that's quite an offer really. Uh, why don't you do that? I said, well, how can I teach something I don't know anything about? Mm-hmm. Uh, filmmaking. So they said, well, Stephen, do what you always do. Just blag it. And I thought, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but uh, the more I thought about it, I thought, well, I'll try it. So I did go over and I did co-teach a course on how to make a film with uh, Enrique Colina. Really enjoyed this. Uh, made a couple of films. Worked with the students, um, and then they said, "This has been great. You know, we, we've got twenty-five students from all over the world, um, and come back next year." So I thought, "Okay, I'll try it." Sounds like a dream job, <laughs> right there, that you created for yourself. It was, it was, it was good. Um, but Cuba's quite a tough place. I did learn lots of other things, like you would, you, you get the, the driver would come along and say, right, uh, senor, we're, we're going to be taking your students to Havana today. He said, yes, that's right. He said, but we've not got any gasolina, senor. What do you think? 
And I'd say, well, uh, we can't, we can't go there. He said, well, I know a friend who knows a friend who we could get some gasolina, but we just need five dollars. Oh. And so th- that's a small example of the types of things that happen in Cuba. But it, it sometimes I, there's always a will to get something done. And there were there were some great films the students made. And actually, you could see over this ten year period um, a kind of a loosening up of the political. You know, people could say more things. There's a saying in Cuba that you can criticize everything, but you can't pull the monkey's chain. Um, I'm not going to go into details about what that really means, but there is a reference to Fidel Castro, obviously, mm. um, and his family. And so that, that you can, and, and actually it's quite surprising just what you can say, uh, but there's certain things you can't say. Definitely. So some of the, the films did say certain things and we had to edit them out, um, unfortunately. There was one film that we did, which was called um, Fidel Castro's Donkey. I know that sounds an odd. Already, uh, burro, the title makes me a little el burro, wary. The burro, the burro, the the Fidel Castro, but someone who used to carry around his weapons and also Che Guevara's, and he was unfortunately a bit of a drunk, um, and had been given three houses by Fidel Castro, and he'd actually sold all of them wow. for liquor. Mm. Um, which seemed to me to be a bad decision, but anyway, um, he. Uh, but his story was an amazing story. We had to kind of doctor it a little bit. But in the end, it was a sort of a positive story. We gave a positive side to it. So I think that was good for me to learn stuff about that. And really, as a result of trying to tell someone's life story in eight minutes, that made me think about what makes people tick. And I then tried to use that when writing my biographies because that's the important thing. A lot of people think of biographies just get loads of dates shopping lists where they were and what they did that's not it it's actually the narrative it's actually a novel in so many ways and how you can get inside someone's head or try to that's right yeah and your other point i think is a very good one that i never forget that i'm a gringo uh so that that i I think that needs uh you needs to be there because that means that you'll have that i think a necessary component of the humility there Mm. in other words that I shouldn't have written the first biography on Cesar Vallejo. It should have been a Peruvian. And I used to say that to people. You know, un peruano debe escribir esto. And, uh, but, you know, now now other people have, have written uh, biographies as well. But, you know, it. Um, someone said to me, well, the reason why they're not going to write it is because they don't want to get in trouble with certain people and they will have to say certain things. So that's probably why you ought to do it. So I, I decided to, to, to take that advice. Well, that seems like it was good advice for you in the end. And maybe it stimulated others to sort of pick up that mantle after and think a wee bit more about what how things were progressing in their own countries. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Because there's one way of looking at biographies to look at it as, um, you know, um, looking at one person or a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, but also looking at it really as a kind of a synecdoche. As as there's lots of pressures, political pressures and other pressures, cultural pressures in in every every country, and we're all kind of dealing with them. I mean, in a sense, our bodies deal with the pressure on them, which is, as scientists tell us, that is actually on our bodies. But we're also de- dealing with cultural and political pressures all the time. And writers are actually really interesting as kind of barometers of that pressure, and and you can kind of read them in that way. I think as barometers as, of of other things. That happened in the culture, and yes, uh, people have gone on to think about biography a bit more in 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 Peru, and even interviewed me and said, "You've written three biographies, another one on on Santa Rosa, 
de Lima, which was a bit outside my um, comfort zone, just because you're basically dealing with a saint. Mm -hmm. So therefore you have to deal with all this supernatural stuff. So how do you then present that to a kind of empiric-minded Englishman, if one can imagine that person? It's difficult to get the same level of facts that you have in the more modern biographies when you go back to a renaissance saint. Exactly, and there's less kind of... uh, uh, there's less kind of material around uh, around as well, mm-hmm. um, and so you have to stretch certain things a little bit more. Uh, that, so, that's true. So, how did you become interested then in Santa Rosa de Lima? Well, <clears throat> I was hoping to write a biography of Mario Bagasiosa, my interest in Peru, um, and at the time I thought I would. I just happened to be, um, and I'd sort of met Bagasiosa on a number of occasions read about his work, read all his novels and short stories and other stuff. And so I thought, well, perhaps I could try this, you know. Uh, so I happened to be having lunch with Gerald Martin. And I said, uh, he invited him to UCL, and he came, came along, gave a lecture, and I said to him, um, so, 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 uh, Jerry, what, what, are you, what are you working on at the moment? He said, no, no, you, you tell me, Stephen, what, what are you working on? And I said, no, 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 you're, you're much more senior than myself. Please, please, Jerry, please, please tell me, what is it? Now you finish off the Garcia Marquez um, biography. Well, what are you working on at the moment? He said, well, funny you should mention, but just this morning I've received, you know, a, a letter, communication that I'm now the official biographer of Mario Bagasiosa. I said, what are you doing, Steve? And I said, well, now you mention it, not a lot, actually, uh, but sort of thinking about different projects. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. What what I think that I'm quite interested in is, is uh, what you could call a literary biography which is when you th- you're piecing together those connections. Mm-hmm. The kind of connections, to be honest with you, that students ask you about. And when you talk about a writer, they say, oh, does that mean that when he was in Paris or she was doing this, that that, has a, that means that? So they're always piecing together this stuff. And in the old days, the idea was, no, no, you mustn't do that. You just tell the life. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I actually quite like going down that that. that um, path because I think people want to know that really yeah. they want to know what was it in their life that then led to something it doesn't mean that it's you understand it completely but it gives you the the framework and then you sort of can even marvel and think dearie me out of that came okay. this so how did you become interested then in Santa Rosa de Lima yeah so one of the things that um uh, I often do when I go to Latin America if I go to a conference or something I might arrive a little bit earlier and then do something that is one of my favourite uh, pastimes, which is um, being a flaneur. So just walking around the streets, um, uh, looking at how life is. You know, um, I might go into a bookshop. I might talk to people, have coffees, etc. So just to kind of get a sense of, I suppose, going back to that idea of of breathing up the life through your feet, in a sense. So on one occasion, I'd been invited to go to a Bay conference. And I just happened to be in downtown um, Lima in the uh, Hotel Bolivar. And I walked down the road and I thought, oh, I've not been down that particular road. Uh, walked down past the uh, Santo Domingo church and then went over the road and thought, oh, I wonder what this place is. Walked in there. Um, and it was the Santiago of um, uh, Santa Rosa. I had read about it. Oh, oh, this is where it is. I, um, I, I, I thought this is quite interesting. As I walked in, I realised that I saw lots of, uh, I suppose there were lots of young girls, but there were lots of men as well, and uh, lots of 
um, their mothers there. And what they were doing is that some of them were writing letters and then other ones were sort of carefully dropping them into a well uh, in the middle. So I thought, oh, I wonder what they're doing there. You know, there must be, is there a little man at the bottom there or something? Um, uh, so, you know, anything can happen in Latin America. So I peered in and there was nothing down there, just lots and lots of these letters. And then a woman said to me, you know, Senor, would you like to send a letter to Santa Rosa? And I thought, oh, that's a quite interesting idea, sending a letter to Santa Rosa. So I then asked some of the uh, people what they were doing. And they said that they were, you know, writing to Santa Rosa. They wanted a miracle in their lives. They wanted, uh, it could be for themselves, it could be for their son, it could be for their daughter. Their, and and, they, and it was, there, was, there, was a, there was a sad side to it in a sense that you could sense that it was not, um, you know, it was as it was kind of remedial in the sense that they couldn't have a ho- hospital mm-hmm. uh, operation, etc. Yeah. So there were other things going on. So there are lots of things going on in these conversations I, I was having with the people. Um, so I thought this is this really quite something, you know. And um, uh, then, as I was um, uh, walking around, I then the guide saw me and said, "Right." Senor, I'm going to tell you a bit about Santa Rosa. Told me about Santa Rosa and told me about the mosquitoes. I've always had problems with mosquitoes. uh, And they do uh, seem to find me tasty. Uh, And I often think it's just simply because I've got, you know, I'm from a different place. So they, you know, drive me nuts. Juicy blood. That's right, yes. (laughs) Um, But she actually was able to speak to mosquitoes, as he told me. Uh, They never, ever bit her. But there were lots and lots of mosquitoes at that time in Peru. And I thought, well, that's quite a miracle. And I said, and that's her best miracle. I suppose. He said, yes, senor, that's her best miracle is what she did. And that's why she's a saint, because she can speak to, uh, you know, she can speak to mosquitoes. And also all the trees. <clears throat> he said the trees in this garden as well. And I thought, OK, he's he's kind of the Hollywood guy now. All these trees bow down in, uh, you know, in front of her. Um, and that's why we write letters to her. And she's Fantastic. also milo grossera. In other words, she's a really good, good miracle. She's not like other ones, but you mustn't ask her for money. I said, oh, yeah. okay. So you can ask her for anything else, but not money. And um, and that's it, senor. And mm-hmm. so, okay. And she said, and I said, over there, there's the bark, the, the, um, the wood of the tree that um, the lemon tree in the garden <clears throat> that the devil burnt down. I said, why did he do that? He said, because he tried to tempt her um, uh, Santa Rosa when she was a young girl and she refused uh, to, to have anything to do with him so to get her back he burnt her favourite lemon tree Aww. and then we've got a little thing I said oh, what a terrible thing the devil is, is like that terrible. Terrible and guy. so I thought okay this is quite interesting so then I looked it up later on <coughs> found some references to the um, mosquitoes no references to the lemon tree um, and very little references to the trees and lots of references to medical healing. And I thought, oh, okay, so what he told me, is that not actually true? So I was a bit disappointed. I thought, okay, I'm going to go and look at the actual, um, let's see if I can do it. So I went along to the uh, the uh, Archbishop's um, archive, El Archivo Arzobispal, and said, could I look at the um, apostolic process? And they said, well, you need to have a letter for that. I said, well... Okay, all right, I can um, do that. And, and then uh, they said, oh, you, and, and I, I, I showed that, I told her a bit about my work. She said, oh, okay. She was interested. She said, okay, well, you come back tomorrow, I'll check, and you can have a look at it. And she said, it's a bit deteriorado. 
Um, but that was that was really not true. It was really, really deteriorado mm. when I looked at it. And I just thought that if I'd done this in the British Library, I opened it up and bits of it oh, no. all went round the room. And I thought, oh, my God, I hope she stays in that room and doesn't come out and see me because she might put me up against the wall and shoot me or something. <laughs> I know if they, the way that they look, you know, in, 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 when you're in the British Library, if you sort of... I remember once when I pushed open a book a little bit and it, and, and, and it made a little bit of a noise. And this woman walked over and said, what did you do? I said, well, nothing really. I, 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 think it was, I think it was that man over there. Um, she said, I think you, <laughs> you, you squashed the... the um... Anyway, so I just thought, this is really terrible. And then I said to her, it's, it, this book is... I can't read this. I can read bits of it. She said, well, that's right. Yes, it has. It's, it's a bit deteriorated, isn't it? And I said, well, no, it's not a bit deteriorated. It's, it's all... Uh, you know, like thirty percent of it is, and she said, "Well, that's that's um, well, there you go." Um, and uh, I then said, "Well, perhaps there might be um, copies of this in, in in Rome." She said, "Oh no, no, it's not. No, the, we've got all the stuff here. They haven't got much in Rome, um, and uh, the, 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 that's it." And I said, "Well, that one might be one of the reasons the biographers don't refer to the, uh, you know, the the the." Um, Original documents. The original documents. And in this particular case, the apostolic process, they refer to the ordinary process, but not the apostolic. And she said, well, well, it might be that. And so I thought, I'm going to check. So I did go to the um, uh, the Archivium Secretum Vaticanum in Rome, and I did check, found out that they do have a copy, and they've it's in pristine condition. I then wrote up a grant for this and got that grant from the Levy who made, uh, uh, you know, the, the the addition of it, which has been presented in. Fantastic. Again, approving. I always said approving should have done this. Yeah. But I've done it. I've just written it all in Spanish. And I'm thinking now of, of translating certain parts of it. But it really, the other focus to where did that come from? Where, why did I pursue it? Is because I've always been, always been interested in, in Garcia Marquez in his way that he tells stories, his sense of the supernatural. I think the supernatural is totally cultural. Uh, when I teach uh, the, the Latin American supernatural, I'd say it's a cultural thing. Ghosts look different in different countries. Mm. Um, it's, it, you know, it, they, they have social status. There's, you know, in other words, you can use the supernatural as a means of reading the culture, as kind of an x-ray of the culture. So it doesn't matter, it's not, do you believe in ghosts or not? It's not to do with that. Um, so that's the way that I, I read it. And it allowed me to search for some of those ideas which were in Cien Años de Soledad and actually to go back to some of the sources, which I know that Garcia Marquez, I now know that Garcia Marquez did use Santa Rosa ah. for a number of his events in um, magical realism. Because for many years I thought that Magical realism is old wives' tales plus <coughs> Franz Kafka. Um, old wives' tales, which came from his grandmother, plus, you know, the metamorphosis. I now realize that's not the case. It's old wives' tales plus Franz Kafka plus popular Catholicism, and that's magical realism. Uh -huh. So that, I suppose it took me eight years to work that one out, but wow. which is rather long. But it sounds like a journey <laughs> worth taking there. <laughs> Well, it was a journey. It certainly was a journey. And um, I think it's sort of consistent. Um, but I think there's also the, the you know, it, it's where something takes you in mm -hmm. a particular direction. And you, you can just explore that. I often think, like I used to, when I used to 
um, do interviews with, uh, let's say, someone in, in Havana, um, you have your set questions, and then sometimes someone says something, you think, oh, okay, that's more interesting than my question, so I'm going to actually ask that individual a bit more about that. And then sometimes that becomes the actual theme of yeah. of of the the, the you know the thing it's, itself. I remember when we were talking, I was talking to uh, someone who was a garage mechanic, and I thought this is going to be not that interested in Cuba, and suddenly he talked about El Invento, and inventiveness in Cuban culture, and that they do it with cars, they do it with all these other people. He brought in all his friends to talk about how they make boots out of um, car tires, how they use the brake thread um, string, as it were, a metal, whatever the word is, the cord, to f for their guitars. Wow. You know, all these things, and he put them all together. And of course, it started off as just the day of a mechanic, and then it turned into something else. Yeah. But it's because he said something that made me think, okay, that's that's more interesting that than the other thing. Takes you so somewhere else. It took took me somewhere else. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Yeah. So you think that that's really important to listen to that voice and let yourself be taken as in your research that you have to sort of follow these different pathways, even if that's not where you wanted to end up. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's that's uh, that must be the way that research happens. If you think about it, archaeologists do this when they're told, okay, this is where the actual the, 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 all the graves are. Um, I've seen them do it. What they do is that they, this is where they're meant to be looking at. They then have a perimeter around. They just go around bashing a you know stick in the ground, you know, to work out things, digging down a little bit every now and again just to see around where there's anything around. And I think that's um, similar to what one can do as well. It's just mapping around something, and it might be looking around where they are the archive you're looking at. I found a new manuscript in the Vatican as well. I was looking in a different part of um, uh, where, where the archives were and then saw the same name and thought, okay, now I wonder why that's here. It should be over in the other one. So I think that that, that is, is part of research. I think it has to be. Being very open. Okay, well, I have. I am really intrigued to know if you actually wrote a letter now to Santa Rosa because you, you hinted, but you're not going to reveal her, are you? <laughs> I did, I did, I did write to her and I said to her um, that could she let me write her biography? Look at that, <laughs> she granted it, wow. I think she did, I yeah. think she did, that's right. Brilliant. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a funny thing, but of course I, I was, it was a case of, um, as a, uh, you know, as a, as a gringo, um, uh, with all these other people there, if you, they, if you then say, Sen, um, uh, señorita, lo que pasa es que soy muy importante, soy un gringo. Yo no escribo cartas, ese tipo de, de... Yo no lo hago. If I had said something like that, they'd say, oh, that's very very sad that you don't write to uh, Nuestra Santa. So I thought I would, and I <laughs> did write it. Um, uh, but it was fun. Very good. We have one more thing we want to ask you today, and it's something we're asking everybody. It's for our Try This at Home section. So... We want to get an idea of what you do when you sit down to research. Do you listen to music? Is there a certain song? Do you do a meditation? Do you go for a walk in the park? Do you drink three shots of espresso? What is it that you do or what works for you? Um, I I think that um, I try to do some of my research and this is based on what Jason Wilson said to me. He said, why do you uh, re reply to all your emails at first thing in the morning? Because uh, I've noticed that, you know, you, you get all that stuff done. He said, why don't you write? 
why don't you try and write some of your stuff just for half an hour and get those ideas out that you might be wanted to do get that out early so i tried to do that um in in other words at the first i try to do that i don't often do that but i try to do that and try to get those ideas down um um the other thing that i do if i get writer's block which i get quite a bit um especially if i've got too many things going on i mean it does happen for everyone isn't it because i mean an academic's job is actually dealing with lots of different things mm-hmm. that come in at different times um, and uh, that are part of modern life. But what I do, and it's a sort of a, I'm slightly embarrassed to mention this, but if I get writer's block, I go out of my office and I walk down to Charles Dickens's house and I put my hand on the uh, door that I think he walked through and he, was, he used to write a lot. Yeah. And I sort of think... Help me out, Charlie. Oh. <laughs> wow. And then I walk back. And, of course, it clears your mind. Yeah. So, so you it, know, it whatever works. anyone says, and you can, if you, you know, whatever sort of explanation, but it does uh, focus your mind on trying to allow something uh, to happen. So that's what I do. That's fantastic. Thanks very much for sharing that, Stephen. It's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you very much. You have a great privilege and an honour to talk to you. Thank you. Dr. Mary Farley, lecturer in Spanish at University College Dublin, specialises in Spanish visual cultures, particularly in representations of religious women in art and media and contemporary engagements with Iberian mysticism. She is with us now. Hello, Mary. Hi, hello. I'm intrigued. Can you tell us about the singing nuns? I see that you have something you're working on from convent to cabaret and it just sounded fabulous <laughs> yeah after i finished my phd at manchester i was delighted to receive the dorothy severin sherman uh, fellowship for early career researchers congratulations so i had the opportunity to go to madrid and meet with some playwrights that are working with contemporary manifestations of religious women so i talked to juan Mayrena, the author and director uh, Juan Garcia Larondo and Dolly the Drag Queen, who has wow. been on stage in Madrid performing as a drag version of the Virgin Mary and of the demonic Sor Leona, who is running a very strange convent in the play Serda. Yeah, love mm-hmm. it. Sounds like that definitely keeps things interesting. Mm-hmm. So where do you draw your inspiration for things like this or do you stumble across it? What's the... It is mostly Twitter. I like to put my procrastination to good use. So uh, I actually came across Juan Mairena and Dolly on Twitter and discovered that they were performing uh, Cerda in Madrid and then later Mariquita Parece Algada en una Cesta in Teatro Luciana, both through Twitter. So that's where I got the inspiration. I knew I had to immediately buy a ticket and go see those. See, now there's a reason why we should all be using Twitter and not feeling bad about procrastinating so much. Excellent, Mm -hmm. I like it. Well, that's definitely original sources, I would say. Um, So the other thing I wanted to ask you about as well is academics are always being encouraged to think about impact. How do you do this and what do you think it works well with dissemination? You obviously are very good at social media, so how do you use that and how do you use those platforms? Um, I've also been working with students recently. I mean, I think academics work a lot through Twitter, 
and students don't tend to. So um, I've been talking to some students at UCD recently and getting in touch with the student societies because they use Facebook a lot. And obviously they're the people that we want to be bringing into the academic conversation. So hopefully over the next few months, we're going to try and run a project at UCD, uh, the UC Dictionary. Uh, we'll be creating a multilingual dictionary with input from both staff and students. And hopefully that will create uh, a space where people across generations, across different uh, relationships with the academic world can have input there and use social media to create impact in the broader community as well. So what kind of a dictionary is it going to be? Hopefully it will be an online interactive dictionary where people can contribute words from different languages, different dialects, um, words that they maybe used as children that they invented, uh, words that they would like to recuperate uh, from Victorian English or medieval Spanish. And that will provide a space online where people can engage with language practices together from all kinds of different backgrounds. Fab, that's great. And aside from that one, what else are you working on at the minute? Uh, I'm just finishing up an article on Dolly the Drag Queen's mystical avatars. So Ooh. I'll be talking about how Juan Mayrena, uh, Juan Garcia Larondo and Dolly have worked together in what they call a contubernio. Ooh, that's <laughs> like nice a good. coven <laughs> coming together to explore different interpretations and reincarnations of religious women in contemporary Spanish culture. And then I'll be moving on to uh, reflect on uh, Sara Montiel, a Spanish actress from the 1950s and 60s, and her performances as a religious woman in two films, uh, Pecado de Amor and Ese Mujer. Um, So you'll probably know Sara Montiel, maybe not from her original films, but images of her recur a lot in the cinema of Pedro Almodovar, particularly in Mala Educación. I was thinking of her from the Ola magazine. That's yes, <laughs> that's my register yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds fab. One thing that we're asking everybody today is try this at home. So, what works for you when it comes to research? Do you do spider diagrams, incantations? Do you sing like those nuns, or is it <laughs> none of the above? Um, well, I'm a big fan of the shut up and write method. So, get a group of friends together, students, colleagues. Um, and shut up and write for 25 minutes ah. and on repeat for two hours. That usually gets me over any writer's block. Oh, I like it. Good strategy. Mm-hmm. OK, well, that's brilliant. Thanks very much, Mary, for coming in to chat to us. You've been a bit, breath of fresh air. That's great. Well, thanks for having me. No, thank you. Mm-hmm.